the great part of where you should be is where your passion and your skill sets really intersect. I unlocked myself to a potential I didn't realize I had, but the worst thing that could happen is somebody calls it a bad idea. Pushing past the fear, learning how to project, learning how to be big, learning how to fake it until you become it, right? And I also think you it's just like any other muscle. You build the muscle and you get stronger at doing the scary thing next time, and I think your leaps can get bigger. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so excited to be introing this episode because this is such a good conversation. We somehow managed to hit on so many topics in one conversation. It was just one of those winding conversations where we talk about work and life, and it felt like everything in such a good way. And one of my favorite things about this conversation is that there's so much good advice in here on how to take control of your career and really play more of a proactive role in driving yourself forward in terms of advancement and promotion and really getting yourself from point A to point B. And today's guest, Jeanette, who you'll hear more about in the conversation, is a marketing executive, and she really shares so much useful advice on exactly what to do to begin getting in the driver's seat when it comes to your professional growth. And Something that made me so happy about this conversation that I think will also be helpful to you is it's not just a conversation on those steps and on the things that you do, but we talk a lot about fear and we talk a lot about how doing these things can be really scary. Having a conversation with your manager about your professional growth can be really scary and I think it's so important to talk about the places where we get scared and to normalize being afraid. And I especially want you to know that so many women feel afraid when it comes to taking these steps and when it comes to doing these bold things. And being afraid, I think, is very, very normal. And I know it's not fun, but I hope it's really helpful for you to hear us talk about the ways in which we've been afraid so that if you ever feel afraid or if the thought of being more proactive feels really, really scary and you're like, no, thank you. Like, I'll listen, but I'm not taking action. You're not alone. We've we've felt that and you'll hear us chat about it. And I hope it opens you up to the possibility that maybe you can take some new steps, some scary steps that could have an enormously positive impact on your career. Jeanette is wonderful. She has her own podcast that she co-hosts. It's called Market Ready. You'll hear us talk about it in the conversation, and I'm also going to link it below in case you want to take a listen. It is a great show. I have been listening to it because I am transitioning into more of a marketing role right now, and her podcast is all about product marketing. 
And she's also a career coach. So she brings a lot of perspectives to the discussion around taking control of your career, which made it really enjoyable to talk with her and to listen back. And I hope you enjoy it. We recorded this conversation during Pride Month, right around Juneteenth. And at the very end, she shares some really powerful advice on how to effectively show up as an ally. So I hope you'll listen to the end. I think you will. I'm very certain you will because this is a fantastic conversation. It flew by for me when I was going through it and getting it ready. And with that, let's meet Jeanette and let's get into the conversation. Enjoy. My name is Jeanette Jordan. I am a marketing and communications executive. I have been doing that now for 11 years. And then additionally, I also do some career coaching around navigating career transitions as well as I'm a podcaster. Fantastic. On this show, we talk a lot about early career struggles. Can you share some of yours? Yeah, I would say early career. um, And something I failed to mention is I'm a career changer. Um, So I started my career in actual civil engineering and construction management, and I moved into business and I've been in business for 11 years. So I would say early on moving into business, the thing that I really struggled with was navigating internal politics and how do you build those relationships and stakeholder management. When you're an engineer a lot of your work and whether you get ahead is about what you know and how you perform. And I think in business, it's a lot about who you know and if you're likable, to be honest. So I really struggled kind of on the soft skills side of things early on in my career. I love that you mentioned that transition of kind of being an output generator to being more of like an agile soft skills person because I'm interested, you know, if you experience this, but I think it's sort of like letting go of almost like the A student mentality and like teacher's pet mentality, which like you think gets you ahead. But it actually is that for me, it's been different than that. I'd love to hear your perspective. It is so hard to let go of that. And and I will say, you know, I work in technology now, so I do think engineers still are measured on output. But for everybody else, I think your skill set is not highly as differentiated as you think. And so what I have found is people will train you what you need to know if you're likable and they see potential, you know, so it's not about if you have the skill set. It's like, can I work with you is more of the question. Yeah. And for me, there's like an unlearning of the urge to produce more. Yeah. Um, And it's tricky because I do think corporate culture does glorify busyness and we are very busy, but leading has very little to do with that. Yeah. I think it's about understanding people's personalities. And one of the things that I was so excited, even in my engineering career, one of the reasons why I made the switch, I went back to business school because I realized I was managing people. And I think so few things in school prepare us to manage people. I think when you learn to manage process, like I did in engineering, you put in an input you can expect the same output, right? And I think with people, they're all different types. You you can do the same thing to different people and you don't know what you're going to get. So I think it's about learning kind of how to navigate relationships, learning how to start to be curious about what people are interested in, what they like, and using that to navigate the relationship and navigate the conversation, right? I think a lot about stakeholder management and getting what you want in the corporate setting has a lot to do with Do I understand who I'm talking to? Do I understand what they value? And am I positioning my ask in that way so that they will understand and aligning it with their values? 
And what's interesting is the pressure, there can be a pressure, I think, to be liked. And once you start to see the importance of stakeholder management, I know for me, there have been thoughts of, well, I feel awkward, I'm not confident. And then that would make me afraid that I wouldn't be able to excel in that area professionally. Could you speak to anyone who has thoughts of like, oh, great, you know, I'm so awkward, I'm so shy, how like, this is not good news for me? Well, I think it's about being different, right? I think about being likable is not necessarily agreeing or being the same. I think it's about letting your uniqueness shine through. And I think sometimes if you do feel like you're awkward or quirky, I think I'm awkward or quirky, right? Um, And one of my favorite sayings is like, let your freak flag fly, you know? But I think sometimes when you own it and you embrace it, you often find people really like you because that's the thing that they struggle to do is like embrace the parts of them that is not cool or that's not popular. And people really are impressed with you. I think if you're able to do that and just like, oh, yeah, I'm awkward and it doesn't matter. That's who I am. And I'm going to celebrate it. Yeah, it takes a leap of faith, I think, because I know when I first started showing more of myself, it felt really scary. But then you do realize people do want to see your personality. And I think you sometimes have to give yourself like a little bit of a push. And it might feel a little uncomfortable. But For me, something that's been helpful is like taking it in small steps, too. It's like, I don't need to tell you my whole life story, but can I make some little connection here? Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that. I often think about sharing and, you know, there's a difference between, I think, authenticity and vulnerability, right? And so I think that's really important to underscore. Um, Being too vulnerable too soon can create an uncomfortable situation for people, right? But you can always be authentic. And so how I like to think about it is like a newspaper, you know, how you have like heading, subhead, story, and then like the actual like small print, right? I think that those levels are about vulnerability, but they can all be authentic. So for example, I am a mom, right? And if we're getting to know each other and we could go a layer down, I might tell you I am a single mom. And if we get to know each other and we go a layer down, I might tell you I'm a divorced single mom, right? And my close family and friends know what happened and why I'm divorced, right? I'm a mom is authentic, right? But there's different levels of vulnerability. So I think you just want to ease into how much you share, but you should always be authentic in your sharing. Mm, That's so helpful. And I think it's helpful too, because I know when I've thought about stakeholder management, and especially as um, as it comes into play when you're trying to advance your career and you're thinking about who are the people that will help me. I've always struggled to think about, okay, how can I do that while being authentic? Like, I don't want to feel like I'm using people. And I think sometimes we make authenticity mean this huge thing where the bar is like so high and I'm like telling you every thought that's in my head. And I like that you're drawing that line because it's just sort of like showing up with honesty and openness and I think sometimes we, I know I like make it into this big thing. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And I think it's about really d- building authentic relationships too, right? One of the things as I was moving into business and I was trying to figure out how do you n- navigate this networking thing? One of my favorite books is Never Eat Alone. And I like that he says in the book, like, hey, if you really just don't like somebody, like, don't 
nurture that relationship. Like don't network with them, right? Like it doesn't have to be forced. You can find somebody who probably has similar skills or similar influence or similar resources that you actually like and you connect with. So I would say like, don't force it. If something feels off, then it's often, it's okay not to necessarily build that relationship. I also think you should build a relationship really open and honestly, something that I practice. We talked a little bit about my coaching, I always have like an ask offer, you know, like if you're going to make an ask, what do you have to offer or what can you offer somebody before you make an ask and start building that relationship? Almost like thinking like a bank account. How do you make deposits before you have to make a withdrawal? Those things have been really helpful as I wanted to build relationships. That's such good advice. And it can take some of the fear of it not being authentic out of it if you extend kind of like an olive branch or something first. And before we go into some of the mindset challenges and fears that I love talking about, I want to ask one last question about your transition from engineering into more business. Did your brain ever struggle to kind of get out of the more puzzle pieces fitting together way of thinking that's an engineering to business where everything is just like the gray areas, everything and it's loose and it's flowy and it's unstructured. I know I've had a lot of pain points around that. So I'm just curious. You know, I think what um, I've struggled with is precision. I think a lot of my engineering background has been a competitive advantage because people do not put enough like numbers, maybe in substance, sometimes behind marketing, which I do. So I think people often appreciate it. What tripped me up, especially in the beginning is precision. When you're an engineer, you get like precise down to the nth decimal point and like 80%, I would say in business is good enough. So kind of getting used to like letting go of that 20 and that it's like not perfect and we don't have perfect numbers um, has been a process and a shift. Oh yeah, I deeply relate to that. I came from a legal background into the business world and I had to just unlearn the need for like <laughs> the citation must be this way. And this, right. it was just super uncomfortable. <laughs> so as soon as I heard engineering, I wondered if it was similar to that. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the fear and struggle around speaking up. Do you relate to this challenge of, you know, either now or previously in your career of sometimes feeling confident and strong, but then having other situations where you get there and you're just feeling small and questioning, you know, whether you're going to say the thing that's on your mind. Yeah, I think it's really hard for me. I think for me, who one, always wants to be thoughtful with my words and two, comes from, you know, a very data driven and engineering background. Sometimes I'm like, I'm thinking this, but I don't have proof or I don't have research to back it up. Or what if they challenge me and I'm not ready for that challenge? So sometimes I haven't spoken up and then somebody else says the idea and I'm so upset. I'm like, oh, I, I thought of it. I knew it. I, I knew the answer and, and I didn't speak up. So I definitely think it has been a struggle. I think as I moved up to my career, it has gotten easier, right? When you have a seat at the table, when you have a higher title, when you have some more autonomy, when you're not afraid speaking up is going to end your career, it gets easier as you go on. Um, but sometimes it's still a struggle, you know, speaking candidly. I'm a, I'm a Black woman in a lot of the spaces that I'm in. I might be the first or different or only. And sometimes it can be intimidating to use your voice or wonder if you're going to be challenged differently or questioned or not listened to. So it is a constant struggle and it's something that I work on on a daily basis. Is there anything you'd want to message to women who identify with that struggle? 
Yeah, I would say, you know, keep practicing. I, I am somebody who I want you to be very cognizant if a space is safe, right? Sometimes I think we're afraid of speaking up and that is our own imposter, but sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes it is actually not a healthy work environment. Sometimes it's a toxic environment. Sometimes people aren't kind. And so I do want you to read the room and start to trust your gut. Is it me holding me back because I'm afraid somebody's going to make fun of me? Or have I read the room correctly? And is this not a safe space to actually be vulnerable and share ideas? So I always want to keep that in mind because I think sometimes when we introduce the concept of imposter, uh, women in particular can overweight. I'm not speaking up because it's imposter. And sometimes it's like, no, this is actually a really mean negative environment. And that's a good reason that you might not want to share or be more open. Did you have that discernment throughout your career or was it something that you sort of built along the way? No, absolutely not. I would even say in the past few years, I have learned a tough lesson. You know, speaking really candidly, I burned out in my last role and I am coming off of a sabbatical because I was running really hard in my career. I was moving up. I did it with two little kids. I mentioned that I'm divorced. And so I kept pushing and kept pushing and didn't take a break. And so I learned like there were environments that I feel like I wasn't set up for success. And I was spending that whole time working with my mentors, working with my coaches, being like, why am I not winning? Why is the room not going the way I want? Why is the outcome not going the way I want? It's me, 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 me. And I really had to have outside observers say, like, no, I don't actually think you have the resources you need. Or no, I'm not sure your boss is supporting you in the right way. I think that there's forces bigger than you that are contributing to the outcome here. And you and you have to see that. And and that's tough, I think, as a type A individual. I think in some of our careers, you can find a lot of type A individuals that is always trying to take accountability. I was really starting to overweight that it was me. And, and there was forces bigger than me that were at play that were contributing to projects not being successful. And I think the the beauty in that is once I learned that and stopped taking it personal, I was actually able to navigate those situations a little bit better. And can you speak to the contrast then of finding an environment where there is that safety so that anyone who is identifying with what you're saying and thinking about how their environment could be problematic can also know that there is other stuff out there versus feeling like you need to stay stay in a place because maybe it doesn't get better anywhere else. Yeah. So I would say I would pay attention to how are you treated and how is everybody else being treated, right? Understanding the discernment, is it something specific to you, which means there might actually be a performance issue or something like that? Or are you seeing when anybody may make a suggestion or any woman, because sometimes it's slated by people of color are treated differently or women are treated differently. When you're seeing more than you, like offering ideas, offering good information, and they are being made fun of, or they are being cut down to size, or people are gossiping in the workplace, that's really unhealthy. And I would encourage you to reach out for external perspectives, people who've known you and known you for years to give you feedback and confide in them about the situation and say, did I read the room wrong? Is there something I could be doing more in my performance? Or do you think that there's something bigger going on? So I have thankfully some trusted mentors who have been with me since the beginning of my career, six, seven years, who have seen me in different environments and who can really help give me that feedback and perspective on how I'm showing up in a room. And I want to talk a little bit about advocating for oneself, yeah. which I think will probably tie into this. But 
Can you just speak to your experience of doing that and maybe talk about how it's evolved um, as your career has gone on? Yeah, I, I want to be really honest. I am pretty bad at it. <laughs> and I feel like I've moved from like horrible at it to bad at it. Um, because again, that engineering perspective, usually you do good work and then there's like a review cycle and people reward you. So business is so different and it has been such an uncomfortable muscle to build to learn how to advocate myself. One particular thing that helped was I had a boss a few years back where we had a very structured one-to-one meetings and he actually had a, like a, form that you would fill out before you go to the meetings and you send it to him in advance. And one of the questions was, is there anything that you want to discuss? And so one week I wrote, I want to discuss how I get promoted. And I put it out there and like anybody else bring up a promotion. I'm like nervous. I've like had this conversation in my head. I've imagined 50 ways that it goes wrong. And we get into the one-to-one and he's like, oh, I saw you wrote this on your sheet. And if you want to get promoted, here are like three things I think you should focus on. And let's continue the dialogue about a promotion. It was like less than five minutes. It was super painless. And I was like, whoa, like I've spent weeks, you know, (laughs) obsessing and having anxiety about this thing. And like the conversation went so seamless. And also as a hiring manager, I want to speak from that perspective that I think it's really important. And I did not realize how important it was until I became a hiring manager. Promotions take a long time. And often promotions have things called committees that are at work. It's more than just you as a hiring manager who's doing it. And so a lot of times, if you want to get promoted in June, you should be really starting that process in January, for example. You need to be put on key projects. You need to have presentations. You need to have visibility to other stakeholders that are going to be on that committee. And often these processes aren't transparent. Let's just call it what it is. They're not. But the reason that a lot of them are not transparent is because we don't want you to be disappointed or significantly disengaged if you don't get it the first time, right? You're often being forced ranked against other people with similar titles. There's often budgetary limits and constraints to whether you're going to get promoted, right? So there's all of these factors at work. And so you really need to help your manager help you, which is like, how do you want to be known in the organization? Are you trying to grow straight up? Do you want to expand your scope and role? Like if I don't know exactly how you're interested in growing and what projects you want to take on, then I'm guessing. And that guess could be right or it could be wrong. And we could end up with you in a role that you don't really like. So advocating for yourself, think about it as just having input in the future direction of your career. And I think it's so important to do so. And it doesn't have to be harassing or nagging. I think sometimes people want to just every time you have a conversation, well, I want to get promoted and I want to get promoted. I think that's not the right way to go about it. I think start early, have an honest, candid conversation with your hiring manager and then take the feedback. Take the feedback seriously. If they said three things, I want you to be really diligent about working on those three things. Yeah. The the crafting your own story thing is so <laughs> important. And I too really struggled with this. Like I would have rather done a bajillion extra hours of work than had one 30 second, like the 30 second conversation about my promotion felt so scary in my head that, you know, I I would have rather like done something way more painful. And so it can be really hard. And I like that you said, you know, it's not just all about like promotion, 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 because for people who 
feel a lot of fear or anxiety around that. I think another way to ease in if, you know, someone's really afraid to just put it out there is you can just begin talking about your growth and start with the improvement areas first and then segue into future conversations that are more directly about role. Like if someone's like, there is absolutely no way I'm way too terrified. (laughs) Of course, like I always encourage people to do the scary thing, but I think easing in could also work. I've had that work in other situations too. Yeah. And I also want you to understand, especially if it's not a first time hiring manager, they know the signals, right? Growth, career development, career ladders, there's all of these trigger words where they've had these conversations before. So it's also they're not new to it, even if you are. And so they'll start knowing where you're going. Yeah. When you were writing down, like, I want to talk about getting promoted for that one on one. Like, do you remember what dialogue you were having in your head and how you got yourself to like hit enter or put the pen down? I was sweating. Perfectly. Um, but I think the dialogue, the the fear I was thinking about is just saying like there's no room for growth and taking a job that you like, but hearing that there's no future, like does that all of a sudden kill your dreams? I do a lot of relationship metaphors with work, but it's like you could be happy in your dating life. But if you think this is leading to engagement and like then you're dating someone who's like, I, I don't want to get married. You're like, oh, Now I'm frozen. And and what do I do? Do I stay in this when it's good right now, knowing that there's no future? So it was was more worried about having that. Is it going to sour my current present state and my future, even though I'm happy because I still want to grow? But again, that was all in my head. I mean, he was totally open and I was able, I didn't get a title promotion, but I got a significant raise after having that conversation. And and he was able to advocate for me. I took on more responsibility and it it was pretty painless. And again, I would go back to the boyfriend analogy. If you're avoiding that conversation, but the truth is there is no growth, wouldn't you want to know sooner than later? Like, you know, kind of getting a realistic lay of the situation that you're in, I think is really important. I agree. And in my experience, different companies are just wildly different in terms of whether this is going to lead to marriage or not. You know, some are like married in the first 90 days and then some, you know, it's like, I'm going to be here a while. And it's like you want to know, even if you choose to stay because you're growing, you're learning their other reasons, you at least know the situation you're in. And I always think, I don't know, I would be interested in your take. I always think about my career as a puzzle right? And so it doesn't even matter if this job is going to give me that title or whatever I'm seeking. If they're giving me the skill set that's going to allow me to get that title jump even someplace else, this was a substantive piece of the puzzle. And that can be good. And that can be really satisfying. So I always just want to encourage people, be in the driver's seat of your career, know where you want to go and be actively looking at those aspirational job descriptions and making sure you're filling those gaps. So even when it's time to leave this current job, you say, hey, I've gained these three skills that I didn't have before. Now I am ready for that director. or I am ready for that VP level. Yeah, I totally agree with the puzzle. And I think it's so important because it helps you not get so focused on one thing and it helps you see the bigger picture. And even another puzzle piece could be, you know, I don't want to be on high drive every single year after year. So maybe there's one puzzle piece that's like, I'm going to take a job that's a little easier, not fully stretched because I need a year or two of things being more low key like that. Sure, like you're not growing a ton, you're not getting promoted, whatever. But that's like also part of your long term puzzle, which is like, if I'm exhausted and drained, then this isn't going to work in my favor. 
Or sometimes you have other things you want to focus on in life, right? I'm a mom. Sometimes it might be want to focus on my kids. Or sometimes you do want to pause and have that dating life. It's hard to do that if you're traveling four or five days a week and you're never in the state, you know? Sometimes you want to get back in shape. I mean, there there is more to life than career. And I think sometimes we forget. And something I had to, my coach had to remind me even on sabbatical as I stepped away. And I was like, I don't have a title and who am I now? Do I have any value in any currency? I think sometimes nurturing your hobbies outside of work can enrich that work and creativity. And one of the things I've gotten in touch with is I love cooking. So I've gotten back into cooking and taking cooking classes and growing an herb garden. And in college, I was a bartender. So I've been making craft cocktails. And it ends up being a really interesting conversation piece and point of connection. As I've gone back and started interviewing people like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm baking bread from scratch. You're like, no way. I also bake bread. What are you using, you know, and it's a way to form connections. So don't forget about being a well-rounded person. I think it can actually start to enhance our creativity and our enhance the way that we actually relate to people in the workplace. And it can bolster your career in these interesting ways. Yeah, I'm still reminding myself that and, and relearning that the first job I had was traveling Monday through Thursday, and it was working very late. It was like work and then go to sleep. There was nothing <laughs> in between. And so my brain just like learned right away that like, oh, work is everything. And I remember even like when I took my role after that, I would get home in the evening and I would be so confused. Like, what am I supposed to do? But I, I think like that paradigm of like work is your entire life. There's no way that I could have sustained that. But I, I think years later, I'm still unlearning components of it. Something I love, and it's kind of come up in my coaching work. Have you ever heard of the healthy mind platter? No. Oh, yeah. So I should send it to you and you should link to it. So the healthy mind platter just talks about different things that we can be doing, like focus time, you know, physical time, time in and reflection, play time, right? It's it's how do you think about creating balance for yourself. And I think when you are a real career focused individual, thinking about the ways that you can do that. And one of the things I love about having kids is it really forces me out of the work bubble, right? Like sometimes I was telling somebody, they just love running and jumping on my bed. And it's like this really silly thing. And the other day, my girls were like, come jump on the bed. And I was like, this seems so silly. But I was like, let me just do it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is fun. So I can imagine if I'm half my size, how fun this is in just a small way to inject playtime. So I think, again, nurturing things, relationships, people, things are so much bigger than work. And we leave jobs, but we're connected to our family and friends forever. So you should really prioritize those things in the right way. Oh, playtime is so <laughs> underrated. And I would imagine I don't have kids, but I would just imagine that they really bring that to the forefront and really like remind you of those parts of yourself. Because they don't understand the work thing, right? Like they're like, why are you on your computer all the time? Please put on this princess crown and now we're gonna do spells. And you're like, uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's so fun. Like I want to put on the princess crown. <laughs> and you, but you can. Like that is actually the thing. I think kids remind us of our childlike brains, but you also don't need kids or permission to do those things. I think um reading the year yes, one of my friends gave me that book years ago. And Chanda Rhymes talk about like in, during the year yes, like actually kids have a short attention span. And when her kids asked her to play, she was like, I'm just going to say yes. It actually usually doesn't last more than 10 minutes before they're on to something else. But that's important to them. So that's something I'm trying to embody, especially as I'm trying to get more life back into my work life balance. Yeah, I agree. I hope and I don't know, maybe we can 
be part of this or we should be part of this. But I also hope more of that play can come in at work. Yeah. You know, sometimes I don't want to appear to be too like weird or wacky because I'm <laughs> pretty I'm a pretty odd person objectively, I think. Um, but I just wish at work there was a, you know, maybe a little bit more like we can be playful or we can laugh about it. Like sometimes it feels so, so heavy and serious. Well, that's just what I love about the tech industry. I do think we try to inject more play into our work than anything. One of the things I loved, um, one of the companies I work for, it's it's big in tech that all of your um, conference room has themes. And one of them was like childhood toys. And like you would have Legos oh. or Mr. Potato Head. And I was like, I love these rooms <laughs> because I'm like multitasking this really boring budget meeting while playing with kids toys. So I do think tech, um, I'm happy to say, I do think we try to infuse more play knowing that it helps with creativity innovation into our work lives. A lot of us have game rooms and stuff like that, that we, we all have in the office that we kind of interject play into our everyday. And I think everybody should. Yeah, I hope corporate culture picks up some of those. They are slowly a bit, but they're not <laughs> nearly as good at it as tech is, in my opinion. <laughs> and I want to talk a bit about uh, the mindset shift that you experience as you're in larger roles. I know for me, there was a lot of like letting go of these thought patterns and kind of letting go of making myself small in ways I wasn't realizing. There was just a whole lot of shifting that had to happen. Can you speak to what you have experienced? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I had to think about um, in shifting in the larger roles is it's not just about me right? It's not about my goals. It's not just about the impact on me and where am I going? It, it was really starting to think bigger about the overarching company goals. And how do I start to align myself or my team with those values? How do I start to talk in that language, have a broader, more strategic view versus, you know, thinking about the one year, two year, three year, and not thinking about the every day and how you make an impact. We might quote unquote, lose a battle or not get what we want in the everyday. But you have to think about what is the overall right thing for the direction of the company. And that was a hard shift, you know, kind of thinking about just me on an individual level to like, there's a bigger machine and how do I play? And if it means my budget gets cut or I don't get, you know, to win a project because the overall right direction we need to shift was a really hard one, I think. And I think just think about all your communications on that level, right? As you deal with more senior people, right? They are thinking about the long term. They are busy. They are stretched thin. They have shorter attention spans. So I think you have to be really clear and you have to be really crisp. And I do think you have to work on that confidence, right? If they don't believe in what you're saying, it's going to be hard for them to pay attention to anything else. So I do think trying to get bigger, take up more space, not be afraid of being challenged. I think something else is like a lot of senior people challenge to challenge, right? Like they're not necessarily against your idea. They don't necessarily think you're wrong. They're they're really trying to gut check. Did you think it out? And they don't necessarily even have another answer. They, they just throw out questions to see how well you're going to stand up against the question asking. And I used to always think like, oh, you have questions. You're you know you're against, you're against me. You don't think this is a good idea. Um, so really starting to understand the mindset of the room around me and starting to kind of mirror that has been a huge shift that I had to make. Oh, it's so interesting. Hearing you say that made me think about how I was so scared of like questions or feedback <laughs> on my work. Like I would take it so personally. And 
it caused so much suffering that I didn't <laughs> have to experience. And it's like, once you realize that you're like, oh gosh, like why didn't I stop that sooner? <laughs> and I don't know where we got this message that question sometimes mean something bad or like you didn't explain it detailed enough. I don't, I don't know where in the world we got the message that like we're anti-questions, but it's pretty common. So I think if we can get one takeaway, get comfortable with people asking you questions and it doesn't mean you're wrong, answer them to the best of your ability. And honestly, if you don't know, it's okay. You can be like, you know what? That's a great question. I'll take that back and research it. Oh, totally. I think for me, it was like a fear, perfectionism, control, imposter syndrome stew that was like, ah, this must be perfect. Otherwise, everything's going to implode. And if someone's asking a question, it means it's not perfect. And it was like just fear running and it, it's tiring. It's exhausting. And I think if anyone is experiencing that, I just... I guess I would want them to know that like you will be okay and you can grow out of that and get more comfortable with the back and forth with the conversation with like being pushed and pressed and and not like feeling like you're gonna break because of it. Yeah, I would say I um, love reading business books and business ish books. And I'm a big uh, fan of Brene Brown. And I would say the gifts of imperfection and learning how to let perfectionism die was a huge mindset shift for me. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just going to be okay if it's not perfect. And in a lot of ways, we're actually going to be happier, because we're not holding ourselves to this impossible standard. And we're not beating ourselves up for, for not meeting a standard that's absolutely impossible. Totally. And even when I try to be perfectionistic, it never like, it's so arbitrary. Like there's still a typo in there somewhere, you know, like there's no point because it's like there, how will it ever be perfect? Yeah. And this is one thing I, again, I really liked about being a part of the tech industry. I do think it is an industry that celebrates learning. Like we have a lot of sayings like move fast and break things, you know, like I think a lot of companies kind of celebrate hey, you're going to have some missteps, you're going to have some failures before you get to the thing, actually move faster at breaking things and failing so we can get to the good part. And so that has been helpful to be in an industry that I think is more celebratory. I mean, again, you have to, it's still work, right? Like you have to be careful and with moderation. But I think in general, the industry is more like, yep, the first idea might not hit. So go ahead and iterate one, two, three, let's get to the good idea. And that has also helped me let go and get a little bit more comfortable with making mistakes or that you're not going to hit one the first time out. I also think a, a big thing for the tech industry is test and learn. So I, I think sometimes we think like it has to be huge and we have to bet the whole farm and all of this stuff. I think if you have a good idea, figure out how much money that you can and how much money, time, resources you can spend on it to test the idea. And we are really big on this. Let's go ahead and, you know, put out an alpha, put out in a beta, test it in a small way, see if it works and invest more money. Then let's go big. Um, but think about it a little bit like gambling, you know, like you wouldn't just go to Vegas and put your house on the line, right? Like you would say, here's my play money. And when I run out of play money, I stop. You should think about, I think, kind of new things and new bets in that same way. A lot, some play money and then kind of test and learn along the way. One thing that I think is closely related to that that I would love to get your thoughts on is sort of this is also another thing that was pretty challenging for me is. So I used to be very reactive. I was like, okay, like you tell me to do something, I do it. And it felt so scary for me to generate a new idea mm. or really like take that, I think of it as like an intellectual risk. Like I'm sharing this weird thing that's in my brain that I think might work. Can you speak to your experience of that and maybe just how you might encourage people to do that more? Yeah, 
it's terrifying. I think especially as a marketing and creative person, I mean, like the stereotype, like we are sensitive is true, you know, and then it's like, it's like this little idea baby and you don't want anybody to call the baby ugly, right? So I, I think it's hard. What I will say is I have typically worked at a lot of small and medium sized companies. I have been the only person of color, black person, black woman, sometimes woman on my team. So I think that can really amplify feeling like sharing my ideas might be laughed out the room. I will say once I got more comfortable sharing them in these little ways, just like I have an idea for this video or this campaign, I have surprised myself where they have turned into huge campaigns and initiatives that people loved. And I have come to realize that my fresh perspective is a unique differentiator. Like the fact that I am different is what I'm bringing to the table. And a lot of reasons why people hired me because they're trying to break out of doing the same old things. But I also like to go through a thought process of just what what is the worst that can happen, right? And just thinking about like, okay, you fail. Somebody calls the idea bad. And what? What happened? Did it ruin your career? Is your money at risk? You know, I think oftentimes we think something is so much bigger than it is. And it's been really helpful for me to either talk it through with friends or even sit down and journal, like what is the worst thing that can happen? And then talk about, okay, if that happens, what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay, if that happens, what's the worst thing that can happen? And a lot of times you're like, okay, my feelings are going to be hurt for two days. Eh, that's not so bad. But what is the upside that can happen? You know, I had an idea for a campaign about how we can use digital marketing to help our talent acquisition teams. And it turned from this really small campaign where we threw a couple thousand dollars into it to like, they really expanded it. And there's like five different target audiences and it can save the company a whole bunch of money. And our CFO is like, hey, not only are you bringing in people in this really scalable way, you're probably like not even calculating your impact, right? And this is so much bigger than you think it is. So like the upside to like opening the company up to something that they could potentially productize, something that can save the money from hiring new people was huge, right? And and I think it, I can even take that idea to other companies and really revolutionize the way that we're thinking about talent acquisition and marketing automation, right? So I unlocked myself to a potential I didn't realize I had and unlocked the company to a, a new revenue stream that they didn't think they can have. But the worst thing that could happen is somebody calls it a bad idea. And if so, actually take the feedback and sit with it and say, okay, if it's not a good idea or it wouldn't work, how can I actually make it better? What What is the missing piece? You might just need to iterate on the idea. So I think thinking about the upside versus the downside, a lot of times we realize it's not as bad as I think we have blown it up in our head to be. Oh, for sure. And just thinking from the perspective of like someone from my team, if they share an idea that we don't end up using, for me, it's still a favorable thing because that person has showed me A, how they think, and B, that they are proactively thinking. And that actually shapes my view of them and makes me think, okay, like I'm going to be able to put them on this project because I know that they're really thinking creatively in this way. And so I think even the times when like you feel like it's a flop and yeah, it doesn't feel good. I mean, I've had so many times where that's happened, but 
first of all, it's natural. I mean, if you're sharing these ideas, they're not all going to be a hit, I don't think. And it really does show people your thought process and your engagement. And I think that can give people confidence that you have leadership skills and that you can really take things to the next level because you're innovating and you're engaging and you're thinking not just at the level of like the immediate thing in front of you, but you're thinking, you know, many levels above that. Yeah, I had an exercise um, in grad school. I took a negotiation class and one of our exercises was get 10 no's. And so we had to spend a week and just ask people all of these different questions and try to get somebody to say no. They couldn't say like, not right now, maybe later. They had to say the word no. And I think an exercise like that, I think can be really good for one, you to start to practice and embrace hearing it. But two, the main thing that we learned, I actually like lowered the interest rate on my credit card and I got like free cable for a year. And I ended up getting all of this stuff that I expected somebody to say no to, but because I kept pushing for the no, a lot of people are like, hey, this is actually reasonable. Yeah, let's do it. So I think if you can just put yourself in a place where you have some fun with actually collecting no's to say like, hey, if I'm trying to be in an idea generation space or something like that, let me see how many times people can tell me no and make a game of it so that you can start to just really get comfortable with hearing no yourself and it won't feel so scary. Oh, yeah. And I mean, for me, it's still scary. But then you remind yourself, you're like, no, it's not as scary as my brain is telling me. It's a little scary. This is scared. Like, I'm going to be self-compassionate, but then I'm going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to ask you about your podcast. I'm so excited to talk about what inspired it as a starting point. Yeah. So I ended up in tech marketing, specifically product marketing for most of the decade of my career. I have branched out and now I do brand and demand gen and some other things, but I've had this title called product marketing for a decade. And it's still so funny because, you know, you talk to your parents or family and friends, nobody knows what it is still. It's very uncommon that people have heard of it. And so I was just thinking as a hiring manager, it's so hard to recruit for. And as companies have gotten more sensitive to thinking about diversity inclusion, everybody's like, not only is it hard to recruit for product marketing anyway, where do I find, you know, people of color in product marketing? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know. I've been the only one for years. So about two years ago, and I have a ton of mentoring and coaching conversations about product marketing. I realized I was saying the same things over and over again. Have you ever done that? Like, you're like, I feel like I'm repeating this for the hundredth time. So I was like, hey, I'm in technology. One of the things we always talk about is scalability. What is a scalable way I can kind of pass down this information? Because it doesn't seem like I'm making a big difference when I'm having these one-off conversations. It's not a good use of my time. It may impact that person, but there's no scalable way. So I decided to um, be intentional about actually trying to find other Black people in product marketing. And I found my co-creator and co-host, Maisha Slay. We had never met each other, even though we're two Black women in product marketing. So that's already a shame. And, and we really had the same passion and we were trying to find the answer to the solution at the same time. And so instead of just creating like a resource center or a blog, I kind of felt like podcasting is new media. People are using a lot of audio and video for consumption. I wanted to create something that was going to live on. So we decided to create a podcast about how companies bring products to market called Market Ready. And we really wanted to have a scalable way to introduce people to product marketing. There's a couple things about product marketing. There's really no college major. In the past couple of years, there's a couple certificate programs, but most entry-level experience, you need five years of experience in product marketing, and there's no clear entry point on how you get the zero to four. 
And so we really wanted to demystify how do you get into product marketing? And typically when you have careers that have no clear pathway, people of color are shut out. So we wanted to one, represent that there are actually people of color in product marketing and step up and show the world that because I think everybody needs to see that. And then we wanted to demystify it for all and say, here's the basic skills that you need to be a product marketer. Here's how we define it. And I love um, sharing our experience because we have two different points of view. I've typically been at small companies and startups. She's done a lot of big companies and amazing names like Google and Samsung. And so we have this really um, opposing experience and you get to hear it from both perspectives. And what type of person do you think would enjoy product marketing? Yeah, so I would say one, as a career changer, I think that it's really geared well towards people who might be looking for a new career. Product marketing is still in demand. I think if you like strategy, right, and pairing strategy with creative execution, I think you like product marketing. I also think for people who are surrounding product marketers, we work a lot with salespeople. We work a lot with product managers. We work with other marketers. I think if you want to understand our process and how to work with us better, or if you're just a curious person in love to learning, you want to know how does this work? How does it go from an idea to incubation to being in the store in front of you? How, what is the magic that happens before you hear all of these stories? And so in our next upcoming episode, Maisha talks about working at Google and, you know, doing the Android launch and actually coming with up with the green Android um, kind of graphic to brand, you know, Android and start to create a community around it. So I think all of those, like, why does that happen? And we start to demystify that. So I think anybody who would just love to learn about these things would be great to listen to the podcast. And I'll link it below and let us know sort of like where people can go learn more about you. And I'd also love to hear about your career coaching, which I didn't realize you were a coach. So if there's anything you can share in terms of like what you do and how to find you there, I'd love to hear. Sure. So um, for the podcast, you can hear the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. We also have a YouTube channel. Um, and if you want to learn more, more about us, we're on social, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, so feel free to engage with us and ask questions. I would say me personally, um, I am working right now with an organization called The Grand. Um, you can find them Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the grand, the grand community. They are interesting. I love this organization so much because they really talk about how people can get more vulnerable and ask like life's hardest questions. Like what is standing in the way from you pursuing the job that you want? And so they were curating all these conversations about that and they realized people needed a community to be more vulnerable. And so they launched just this year, the grand quest, which was creating a community around people going through job change. So I actually went through the program earlier this year. And one of the things that came out is I really love coaching. I'm passionate about doing it. I've been doing it in all these informal ways for all these years. And then they invited me to be a coach um, as a part of their program. So now I'm coaching for the Grand Quest. So it's been an amazing journey to go through my own transformation and arrive at, you know, pushing myself into an area of living my own passion and really walking the talk. And can you speak to someone who, as you're saying, that might be thinking, oh, a career transition sounds appealing, but like that would never work. That sounds so hard. Where would I even start? Yeah. So I would say 
I love this because I am on like my third major career transition. I went from engineering to tech marketing. I did that for 10 years and I decided to take a sabbatical not knowing what was on the other side. Um, So one of the things I really love to focus on is a practical approach to career transition. All of the things that I coach on is what are the things you can control? How do you actually create a process for yourself to get clear on what's next? How do you actually lay out a networking map? So much is out of your control during a transition. And that is anxiety producing and nerve wracking. So I love to have these tactical, practical applications about like steps that you can take and little worksheets that you can do so that you can actually get in control of what you can control. And it'll help you feel better and more grounded. And it's now time for the closing questions, which is my very favorite part of the interview. Mm -hmm. Um, There are four of these. The first one is just advice. Um, If you could share like one small step that someone listening now can take to take control of their career and feel a bit more like they're getting in the driver's seat. Yeah, I would say be clear on what you want. And I mentioned this earlier, but I love to articulate this um, in this analogy. How can somebody give you directions if you don't know where you're going, right? Like if you're like, yeah, I, I need directions and people are like, great, where are you going? And you're like, I don't know. And they don't know how to help you. And so oftentimes I think people do not stop and take enough stock of where do they want to be? Where do they want to be? Not where your mom wants you to be, not where your teacher wants you to be, not where you think you're supposed to be, not where you're good at, where you want to be. Because I often think we don't let our passion shine through. And I think the great part of where you should be is where your passion and your skill sets really intersect. Like that is the happy place. I think that's the place where it doesn't really feel like work. And I think if we're all showing up there in like our zone of genius, where we get into flow, we'll all just be better people. Oh, yeah, that went right in. Thank you for sharing that. And this next question is about a theme that I've been really interested in exploring lately. And it's about this idea that like sometimes we have these big lofty goals, like I want to be confident, I want to feel bold. And I found that sometimes we move towards those goals in these like tiny unglamorous moments that (laughs) are maybe not how we pictured it happening. So I like to ask every guest if they have like a little moment in their career that even though it seemed kind of small and brief, it really like represented a shift or moving towards something different or something greater for them. Yeah, I mean, I would say... I talked about asking my boss for that promotion. And I think that that was just a real kind of tiny moment in using my voice and having it work that it just like opened me up to like, hey, asking for what I want not only doesn't have to be the scary thing, people might actually help me get what I want. And so it was just this tiny way of like getting more confident and using my voice and starting to share ideas and speaking up and speaking up on behalf of other people and really seeing, I like talking. I think this is how I got into podcasting, but I have a gift and people tend to pay attention when I talk. And it was something that I wasn't using early on in my career. And I can really move people and I can be really convincing with my actual voice. So it's something in this small way that I've learned is a really big differentiator for me. And so I've decided over time to step up and use it in more and more ways. It feels so wonderful to hear you own that about you and say that I have a gift. Is that something that you had to grow into being comfortable with? Because I know so many women struggle with that. 
Yeah. So it's something that it's interesting. I think it's two parts. I actually have a skill set. So my parents put me in theater when I was really little. So I've actually been like trained on public speaking, but I would say that was like acting. I was always stepping up and speaking as someone else. So I always thought about that as very different from using my own voice and stepping up and speaking and advocating on behalf of me. But I do think pushing past the fear, learning how to project, learning how to be big, learning how to fake it until you become it, right? Theater taught me a lot of good skills that helped me start using my voice as me. But it's been in recent years where I've stepped up and put myself out there and own my own story and started talking about myself, which is really scary. As a marketer, I do so much speaking and creating content on behalf of other people. And I wasn't even using that skill set on myself. So it's something that I'm practicing. I'm doing the thing that I think kind of scares me and sharing myself with the world. And, and, you know, when you get into these forums, it's not just family and friends. It's not just coworkers. These things can go anywhere and you can get feedback from anyone, right? But I do think, again, practicing while I'm scared of receiving kind of negative feedback and people beating up on me, I think the positive impact that like, hey, if I can help 10 more people find their passion, or if I can help 10 more people find a lucrative career that they've never heard about, the impact on their life, the impact on the lives around them is going to be so monumental that it's worth it. Yeah, I definitely relate to the scariness of like creating a platform and being like, oh my gosh, anyone can listen. (laughs) It's an interesting feeling. And I want to ask you the question that I asked about the title of the show, which is The Art of Speaking Up. Could you speak to someone who is being self-conscious and worried that when they do speak up, they're sounding weird, jumbling, mumbling, and it's creating a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety for them? Yeah. So I think when I think about the art of speaking up, I think about how can you find ways to communicate how unique and authentic you are by using your voice? Like we're all as unique as our fingerprint or as like a snowflake, right? So there is nobody who's had the combination of experiences that you have had. And that has shaped your perspective. And I think it really helps us to have a broader, more inclusive world if we're all speaking up and kind of reminding people that it's more than just their way or their point of view or their perspective in the world. I think we're all so unique. So I think it's all really important to find our own way of using our voice. Mm, Yeah, I agree. And I think when you do the scary thing, it frees up another woman who watched you to do it. And I think it's so powerful when you are struggling, because then that person has someone to look at to see that they're not alone and to see that they can also cur- find courage. It's it's, being, it's about being courageous. Yeah. And I also think you it's just like any other muscle. You build the muscle and you get stronger at doing the scary thing next time. And I think your leaps can get bigger. Yes, for sure. And sometimes it's not linear. Like I, (laughs) like I, my brain is always reminding me of the times where like, it does not go well. And you're like, I never should have like, tried to improve myself. I should have stayed how I was. But too. You know, it's like those times where you're like, oh, that was a disaster. (laughs) And that's okay. And like, what are you supposed to learn from it? And what are you supposed to take from it? And I think take the lessons and kind of leave everything else that's not serving you. Yeah, definitely. And then try again. Don't stop trying. (laughs) 
And for the final question, this question was inspired by what inspired the show, which was I had this time in my career where I was struggling with confidence. I didn't really have mentors. I just felt like alone and not empowered. And so I always ask the guests to use this last space to speak to anyone listening who either might be feeling that way or is just looking for a little bit of a boost of confidence and empowerment. Uh... Yeah. So, I mean, I would say, given the times that we're living in, I really want to encourage everybody to be an ally, to be a better ally. If you're not, I think if you can listen to this podcast, then you're probably privileged enough that you have some kind of fancy device or you have some free time on your hands, which means you have something to give to somebody else. Um, And so I really want to encourage people in some specific ways about how they can be a better ally. As someone who has often been the first different only in the room, I really want to encourage everybody to take a first step by othering themselves. Have you been the only person of your race or your gender or your sexual orientation in the room? And if not, ask to be invited in, right? Don't just barge in, ask to be invited in. And if and when you're invited in, I want you to listen And I want you to think about how you should adapt to that environment and not vice versa. And then I want you to take that experience back to your everyday life. I want you to hold on to that discomfort. And I want you to pay attention to people who in your everyday life might be the first different only weird one sticking out oddball. And I want you to be a better ally to that person. I really think that can make a difference. And given all that is happening, it's Pride Month, everything that's happening with Black Lives Matter, we just are on the cusp of celebrating Juneteenth. I really want people to think about ways that they can open up their network and resources. When is the last time you mentored somebody that looked different from you or try to give them a job or help connect them with your network? I want us to think about supporting underrepresented business owners. You know, think about how you do that in your everyday life, but also think about how you do that in your corporate life. What are your corporate suppliers and vendors looking like? How diverse are they? When is the last time you tried to look at how many women-owned business or people of color-owned businesses have contracts? Um, And I also want in a final way for you to think about your own professional services and the people that you patron, doctors, lawyers, personal trainers financial service professionals, how diverse are they? How can you start to open up your network, your resources, the way you spend your money in all of these different ways? And if you're not doing it, ask yourself why and challenge the notion that somehow different is less quality. So that is the piece of advice. I think we all need to get to a place where we are seeing each other's humanity And we are supporting each other on a different level than we have historically been doing it. And I think that's how we start to create a better world. Thank you so much, Jeanette. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you loved this as much as I did. There were so many good nuggets in here, so many pearls of wisdom, so many helpful reminders, and I hope you felt that way too, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation and listening back to it. I'm going to link Jeanette's information below. I'm going to put a link to her podcast, Market Ready, and I'll also put um, a link to get in touch with her in case you want to reach out. 
And I want to thank you so much for tuning in and for listening to the show and for supporting the show. I appreciate it so much. Please feel free to say hi to me. I love it when you reach out. Please don't be shy. It literally makes my day to hear from you. So if you want to say hi, I'll put my information below in the show notes. I've been welcoming more and more women into the Facebook group. So if you want to join us and have more of a discussion and a dialogue, please feel free to join. I will also link that below. And I just wanted to thank you for tuning in. And I wanted to remind you that you can do scary things and that you don't have to do scary things. But if you want to do scary things you can even though they are quite scary and yeah it's never easy but then once you do them it's really special and it feels really special and I think it creates something really special between you and yourself so that's what I'll leave you with I hope you're doing so 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 well it's a joy to be talking to you and I hope you have a fantastic week oh And I have a surprise coming next week. I'm so excited. Can you tell I'm excited? I'm sharing a special surprise next week and next week's episode that I've been working on and I can't wait. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It has to do with the topic of assertiveness, which is a huge, like it's been a huge struggle for me. And well, I'm not giving away the surprise, but I had a lot to say about assertiveness and I began to write about it. And so I'm sharing a little something that I've been working on and you'll hear about it in next week episode. All right. Now it's really the end for real this time. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Jeanette. This was a fantastic conversation. And all right, I'll catch you next week. Bye.